Dr. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, I I uh, was looking through your bio, and it was just awesome to me to see that uh, a mechanical engineering degree from the University of Pennsylvania, and then a bunch of tech uh, years. I don't know what time frame that was, uh, and then and then off to medicine. I'd love to hear that story, man. Um, sure. So, um, I mean, and we can bring it back farther than that because I think there's bits and pieces that are relevant. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, I was really into like Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy and sci- science fiction. And, you know, this was in the 80s and 90s. And one of the things that that I, I kind of became obsessed with was like this idea of like cybernetics and bionics. Mm. And so I think it was around like, 11 or 12 years old, I decided what I wanted to be when I grew up was a doctor that put like bionic parts on people. Like I just thought it'd be the coolest thing. If you give somebody a bionic arm and it had like a laser beam in it, you know, you could like shoot people uh, with that. (laughs) So that, that was kind of, that was the intention. That was like, you know, it was in comic books and movies and I thought, okay, well, by the time I grow up, you know, it's going to be like, it's going to be the future and I'll do that. And it's I like actually a step before uh, transformers, which I think was probably also in your, if you're eighties and nineties kids, you're a transformers kid too. Yep. Oh no. I remember, um, transformers, the movie when I was like four or five years old and me and my friend were so excited to see it. And her, his mom took us and then like partway into the movie, she was like, this is way too violent. And like took us out of there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I wanted to do. And then uh, when I was um, going from middle, middle school to high school, this was like the mid-90s, uh, this, this program had opened up at, at a local high school, which was going to be a biotechnology program. It was like a futuristic, you know, like work in biotechnology, and, and, you know, and like, you know, cure cancer by doing genetic therapies and stuff like that. And, and you know, this was like the mid-90s. And so I was like, okay, well, this, this sounds like the stepping stool to me, you know, putting the bionic arms on people. So sign me up. And that program, you know, was basically just a, just a, a feeder program into the pharmaceutical industry. But at this point, I mean, I, I don't know any of the stuff I know now I thought like, this is, this is going to be my career path. And I learned a lot of good things in that, in that, in that, um, program. Like I learned biochemistry and what I found out later was like a grad school level. And so wow. we learned a lot about biology, chemistry, things like that, that set me up later in life. Um, and so I went to, went to, um, yeah, got into, got into, got into Penn for undergrad, did, um, biomedical engineering to start. And what was interesting was at that time, that was like the late nineties. That was when, um, pharmaceutical ads first started appearing on TV because previous to that, the FDA didn't allow it. Uh, and then they changed the laws. And um, I remember just seeing ads on TV for like Viagra and Prozac, you know, and, and it's like, you know, now the, the, the ads are ubiquitous and we see them and we're like, okay, you know, it's a woman like playing violin in the field and like talking about how like, <laughs> you know, feels better, even though like, you know, her hair, you know, it may cause hair loss and loss of libido and, and sudden death and all these things. Um but back then, like when it first came out, that was like a shocker because, you know, the pharmaceutical ads were the same way, but they list off all these things they could help you with. And then they go into the, oh, and by the way, there are these side effects and, you know, heart attacks and 
you know, strokes may occur and suicidal ideation and all these things. At the very end, really, really fast. So you can't really really, really fast. And talked about in a tone of voice that just makes it, oh, and by the way, like these things may happen. It's yeah. no big deal. <laughs> Even though you're like, that sounds like a big deal to me. Um, and so that was just like a like a matrix moment of like, whoa, what am I getting into? Like, what is this? You know, like I don't want to work on like boner pills and like antidepressants. Like I want to do, I want to like really help people. But it was like, I could see that way, the way the program was going and kind of the, 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 companies people were going to work for that like I, I like the whole robot thing cybernetics thing was not going to happen so uh going in that program so and and i and i you know had a natural knack for math physics chemistry calculus all of that and so i switched to mechanical engineering thinking like i'll learn robot robotics and stuff like that and then i'll you know when the industry matures and i can actually like get into you know building cyborgs and whatever like i'll i'll go do it you know, and this is like at 18 years old, just kind of like, mm-hmm. I got my career figured out. And so I did mechanical engineering. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was all right. Learned a lot, got really good at, at all of that stuff and, and thinking critically and, and, um, problem solving and, 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 um, looking at how systems work, which I think those are things that really have served me, um, now and the work that I do now. Um, and got a job working for a microchip company, um, out of college, kind of just figuring, okay, I don't, you know, there was no cybernetics jobs. And so that by this point, it's like the early two thousands and I go into that and I just kind of forget about my dreams. Like it, like if you, I remember watching the movie office space in college and thinking like, oh, that would be funny if that's what life was like to work at a tech company. <laughs> And then you, then you actually start working at one. You're like, wow, that was like, like absurdly accurate. Like the very reason it was so funny that movies was because there was real truths in it <laughs> that all of us in the business world now know. Yeah, and I mean, it was based off of experience. But then you know, you're you're a young kid watching the movie, and you think, oh, that's really funny. And then you go into the industry, and you're like, wow, yeah. that that was pretty spot on. Um, you know, a little bit of a, you know. <laughs> We all have a version but, of the TPS reports, right? Yep, totally. <laughs> and I and I definitely uh, dealt with that. And so I worked in that industry for like, you know, it was probably a good five or six years before I started to notice like that, like um, things weren't going right with my health. Like things were were getting bad. And I'm, I'm in my late 20s by this point. I'm noticing that like, oh, yeah, like the food I eat is really like always causing me indigestion my skin's got this like rash all over it all the time. Um, I'm, I'm needing to drink like two or three energy drinks most days just to get, get through, mm. you know, lived on like Mountain Dew and Monster and Rockstar and all of that. And a lot of other un- unhealthy foods and, um, the brain fog, the fatigue, the, I start to develop just this chronic muscle ache thing and, um, really had no knowledge of any of this, um, uh, alternative health stuff. Like, you know, I I went to Penn where it was like medicine and the medical model and like anybody who does anything quote unquote alternative is quack. And Mm -hmm. they're just doing that because they couldn't get into real doctor school, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and so I start, you know, eventually it gets bad to the point where like, you know, I'm really struggling to keep up with work and like my stomach's hurting every day. And I'm like so fatigued that I'm like sleeping most of the weekend. And I'm like, I gotta get this figured out, you know, 
because before then it was just sort of like, oh yeah, I'm just getting older, right? At 27, 28 and um, trying to slough it off as normal, trying to avoid the problem. But it gets to a point where it's just like, it's really interfering with my life. And so I go to see my primary care and they're like, well, we don't really know, but like, let's run some labs and like, you got a skin condition, let's send you to the, you know, the, the dermatologist, they'll look at that. You got digestive issues, we'll send you to the gastroenterologist and, you know, he'll look at that. And, and pretty soon, like one doctor's visit turns into three or four. And then each one of them is like running their own labs. And, and, um, it was all a bunch of, you know, pretty much vague symptoms that didn't fit the description of any particular disease condition. So they're all coming back with like, oh, you know, you got eczema on your hands, just put some steroid cream on it. Oh, you got digestive issues, just take these over-the-counter pills. You know, um, you know, we run your lab work, everything looks normal. And so I'm, I'm doing what they're telling me, but I'm not really getting much better. And I'm definitely not feeling better. And, uh, but you know, I have health insurance, right. And they're the doctor and they know better. Right. And, and it doesn't cost me any more money. In fact, I think I'm like doing a good thing by seeing like multiple people are going to figure it out. You know, they like the crack team of doctors that don't talk to each other are going to save me. And, um, turns out as, as you probably know, and as many people listening probably know that doesn't always work out the way you expect. Right. 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 And so after months and months of just getting kind of shuffled around from doctor to doctor and we don't know what's really wrong with you and your lab work looks normal and there's, you know, um, you know, just take this, you know, it'll kind of help with this. But overall, we don't have an overall diagnosis or solution. I get kind of frustrated, especially after working at like in the tech industry where it's like if someone presents a problem, you have to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You can't just keep the can down the road or you get fired, you're gone, right? Like, and so I was coming to them with a problem, they weren't solving it. And I basically had at some point had to go, okay, like open up the side hatch and like tuck and roll, you know? <laughs> and uh, like realizing like these guys just, just, they're not helping me. And I, and in my mind, I'm thinking I must have something really rare that like, you know, none of them can figure out, like I must be some special case, right? And, and I've got a, like a science background. I studied all that like biomedical stuff when I was even younger. Like, oh, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm smart. And that's what I did. And I really just started, you know, massively, uh, you know, researching. And that led to massive self-experimentation. And, um, you know, I remember reading somewhere in the early on, like, well, you know, if you change your diet and you eat healthier, a lot of these problems go away. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's cool, but I'm never doing that, you know. But, um, you know, after trying lots of things and different supplements and different, like, gadgets and, and um, you know, uh, things from the health food store that aren't really moving the needle, I'm like, okay, I, I think I need to actually, like, face the music here and eat healthier because nothing else is working. And I'm getting worse. Like, I'm getting to the point where, like, my boss brings me in for my performance review and he's like, what's what's wrong with you? Like, you used to be one of the top performers on my team and now you're, like – you know, you're the worst. Like, uh, like, I mean, it's not good. Like, but I mean, you used to be awesome. Like what's going on? And I didn't really have an answer for him. You know, I was just like, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of health issues. Doctors can't really figure it out. I don't know. And he's like, well, you know, I don't like, you better figure it out because, you know, when January rolls around, you have your performance review. If it stays like this, like, you know, like we might have to let you go. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Now I'm like, not only losing my health and my job's under, you know, threat of losing, and so I decided, like, okay, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to start changing, like trying to eat healthier because I'm sick of my stomach hurting all the time. And I remember talking to the gastroenterologist, like, do you think this could be, you know, having anything to do with what I'm eating? You know, and he's like, oh, no, this is just this is just genetic, you know, like just oh, take geez. these medications, just, you know, um, just just take like Pepto-Bismol when your stomach's hurting and be fine. And, you know, as I began to think more critically about like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like food's the only thing that's traveling through my digestive tract. Like surely it must be involved. Like the, the, the sort of like knee jerk reaction of denial to the question was like very telling, you know, and that's when I started to wake up of like, man, maybe this guy, there's some things he doesn't know. Um, and so it was a slow awakening and unfolding process, you know, but I really thought like, okay, I didn't read a book on nutrition uh, per se. Like in the beginning, I was just like, okay, well, I know fruits and vegetables are good for you. I'm just going to throw a bunch of them in a blender and make a smoothie because before that I was eating microwave food and it's like, you know, microwave is kind of like a blender. You open the door, you throw the food in, you close the door, you hit the button, <laughs> it's like, and you get food, right? And that was like literally it. And uh, I started doing that, just whatever I had in the fridge, you know, just throw in the blender and hope it tastes good. And eventually I was like, okay, I want to learn more. I want to learn recipes. And I remember like looking up smoothie recipes on YouTube. This was like 2010 and just kind of falling down a rabbit hole of like all this health information. So that was really the genesis of it. Hmm. And so how did you ultimately get to the diet? Well, a couple of things. How did you, how did you finally figure out what was actually going on? Cause you had what, a, 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 an immune disease of some kind or, or what, what, what ultimately was the problem? And then what, how did you ultimately figure out like what the right nutrition was to, to solve that problem? So great question. And ultimately I never, no doctor gave me a diagnosis, you know, from what I can piece together, um, of what I know now, like looking retrospectively, it was some kind of autoimmune leaky gut situation mm -hmm. might've been something like, you know, ME or chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, but I don't really know, you know, and I think there's a lot of people out there who are dealing with something that doctors can't diagnose and then they get, they get brushed off. They get marginalized because it, it doesn't fit any particular thing. Right. It doesn't have, they can't give a name. Um, but yeah, for the nutrition protocol, it was, a, it was an iterative process of like, you know, okay, let's try this. Okay. You know, reading books, I, one, one book that I really resonated with a lot that when I, first heard about it, I was like, that's the dumbest idea ever. And then I read the book. I was like, okay, this makes sense. And I started implementing It's called the 801010 diet by Dr. Doug Graham. Those, um, I think that's like almost required reading for anybody who wants to know anything about nutrition. It's a fantastic book. And so it was mostly, you Is know, 801010 referring to like protein, fat, carbs or something is like a macronutrient yeah, carbs, allocation, carbs, fat, protein. Yeah. Macronutrient ratio. Yeah. Okay. And what did he want the 80 to be? carbohydrates from okay. fruit. All right. Got it. So it was essentially a fruit-based diet, like a raw vegan diet focused as fruit as the primary staple with leafy greens, nuts, and seeds. Got it. And okay. so it, I read that it, it, he lays it out in a really good way that like made a lot of sense, especially to me as an engineer. Um, and, uh, and so started to implement that. And that's when I really saw like a major shift. And so at this point, I'm still in the industry. I'm still, you know, jockey in a, you know, jockey in a tech job. And I'm like, you know, in the break room eating an entire watermelon, you know, just kind of 
saying <laughs> saying no to the cookies and the and the and the brownies that are being passed around and still trying to like live my life but also like heal myself and um and so yeah really like that was another year or two before I had the epiphany of like, man, I don't, I, I hit 30 and I was kind of like, man, what am I doing? Like, this is so like, I, I feel like I'm in the, like one foot in the matrix, one foot out, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I, I can't be doing this when I'm, when I'm 40, you know, or 35, like I got to figure out what's next. And, um, I really didn't know. And, um, it was a lot of like, inner searching. I, I lived, you know, pretty close to a, to a forest or I just go on long walks in the woods every day after work for like months, just trying to like that, like, what, what do I do next? Because I don't like this engineering work is like paying great money. And I'm like, um, and, and the other thing was that like, after I changed my diet and got well, like my mental clarity went through the roof. And so I was like doing the work of like two people, there like one person left and they gave me her workload and I was still finishing the work day by like three or three thirty, And I was just like, I was just like a machine. Like I was just like, hmm. and it, it was no longer a challenge. Like it was, I was very bored and, um, and it was like, okay, we're making these microchips that are going into TVs in Japan and I don't even want to be watching TV anymore, you know? And so I thought like, how could I help people? And, and then it kind of was like, Oh, okay. I guess I could be a doctor. Like, you know, a lot of them, you know, like I thought they were pretty smart and they couldn't help me. I feel like with what I know now and like, you know, a few brain cells, I could do a lot better than they were doing for me. Why don't I pursue that? And I didn't, I knew I didn't want to do drugs and surgery. I didn't want to sit through four or five years of medical school plus residency, learning a bunch of things I was never going to utilize in practice. And and, and was really mm-hmm. like, you know, um, ideologically against um, and so I thought, okay, well, I'll be a naturopath. I was in Austin, Texas at the time. Well, it turns out naturopaths aren't even licensed in Texas. So I was like, that's, that idea is out what I'm going to do. And I'm like, somehow I come across the idea of like, okay, well, I'll be a chiropractor. I'll learn all that drugless healing stuff. And I'll just essentially practice as a de facto naturopath. And, um, so that's kind of the path that I took from there. Yeah. So that was like 2012 ish, 2013. I go back to school. That's that's awesome. And so you're in a fight against chronic con- chronic disease. Clearly it's something that's been inspired by your your personal personal journey. Um are, are is there a focus for you on what you're kind of this is my this is my lane, this is my wheelhouse, you know, for folks who are who are listening um you know I'm coming to Dr. Ben for what, what is, what is my list of symptoms that I would be, uh, you know, experiencing to, to come to you or maybe sure. a list of so, symptoms I'd like to keep from experiencing by coming to you. <laughs> sure. So it's, it's, it's really anything that falls in, into the autoimmunity bucket or close to it. So it's going to be like chronic pain, chronic fatigue, brain fog, digestive issues, uh, sensitivities, whether that's like chemicals, smells, foods, whatever. Um, I would say that those are, those are like the main, the main Mm -hmm. five pillars of it. And these things are reversible by and large. Yes, absolutely. So, so give me the, so autoimmune diseases, you know, they're, they're, they're wide ranging. You just, you know, listed off a few. I mean, what are the ones where, um, you know, what, what are the big, you know, uh, autoimmune diseases that, you know, we have heard of, like what are the, 
the the biggies because I think a lot of people think of like chronic diseases being uncurable, you know, and then oh, you talk so. to lots of folks who are looking at, you know, type two diabetes, for example, and putting them on a very kind of carbohydrate restricted diet that has been able to kind of turn their, you know, their diabetes into, you know, being back to, you know, having A1Cs of, you know, 4.9 or 5.5 or something like that. Right. Like, so it sounds like to me, you, what you're saying is the autoimmune diseases kind of can follow the same reversible path. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we threw out some terminology there that I think for the listener, we should get clear on. So one of the things is you said, you know, that they're, they're incurable. And I would, I would actually agree with that statement. Um, there is no cure per se, um, but they are reversible with diet and lifestyle, right? So mm -hmm. if you change your diet and you're eating healthier and, and, and the disease, and it's a, it's a process, right? Like it's, it's, it's sending in the other direction. So it's not like you drink one green smoothie and things are healed. It's, it's reversible. You slowly walk it back, right? right. Just like same with diabetes. Um, whereas a cure implies like instantaneous thing, right? And also if you begin plow back into your unhealthy habits, well, then the disease progresses again. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, it, it, and cure is a medical term and they want to control it. And that's fine because I'm not in the business of curing anyone of anything. Um, but what we are, what we want to do is provide the body the ability to heal itself. And we do that by removing the interference to the healing. And the standard American diet is a gigantic impediment to the healing of the human body. And so when we put people on the right foods, we remove these interferences, we remove these things that are causing disease, and, 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 and then the body begins to heal itself. Mm -hmm. So um, the most common autoimmune diseases, and, and, and just, to, just, to, just to set the stage for this, autoimmune coming from the word auto meaning self, immune meaning the system that's supposed to protect you from disease, right. that system attacks you. And based on where it attacks in the body, they give the disease a different name. So if it's attacking the joints, you know, then they call it rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. If it's attacking the thyroid gland, they'll call it Hashimoto's disease. If it's attacking the brain and the, and the, the nervous system, they'll call it multiple sclerosis, MS. So those are some of the most common ones. And then, you know, and then there's like, it attacks the digestive system. So that's ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. Mm by like the top five most common autoimmune conditions. And and what are those? Those are great. What, what, what are, what of those are most, um, kind of attackable through, through better nutrition? Are they kind of equally attackable? Are there some of those that are really more difficult to reverse than, than others? That's a fantastic question. And, and I don't even like to use the word attack. And I don't even like to use the word, you know, like, like I'm fighting these diseases because the, the fighting of the disease is the medical model, right? Let's like mm. fight what we don't want versus I say, hey, the title of my book is, is create health. Let's focus on just creating more of what we do want. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I would say, um, you know, all of the ones that I listed, I, I've helped people reverse with diet lifestyle. I would say that um, in general, uh, neurons like are slower to regenerate. Um, so sometimes MS can be a slower process to heal than some of the other autoimmune diseases. But I've, 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 um, you know, I've got someone who was on a walker and just last week she told me she walked her first 30 steps without it. 
Incredible. So, you know, it's a process and it takes time and the MS can be a little bit slower, but you know, all of them are definitely reversible with diet and lifestyle. And, you know, we have information in the literature too. So if anybody wants to challenge me on that, he's saying things that are unscientific and untrue. I've got testimonials on the website. We've got, we've got articles in the literature about people reversing these autoimmune diseases with diet and lifestyle. So, so if somebody, if somebody out there has Hajimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis, I just had a buddy who came down um, with rheumatoid arthritis after a pregnancy. I, I say buddy, it's a, a friend who's a, a girl um, who got pregnant, had a baby, and came down with rheumatoid arthritis um, soon thereafter. I don't know if it's co coincidental that those two things kind of happened at the same time or, or not. And I kept pushing her instead of doing the drugs to uh, to try nutrition. And she's like, that's total quackery. Like, you know, we, we got to use the pharma first model. So she was still very much into this pharma first model. And so um, I think, you know, the, the conditions in which you listed are, are clearly ones that are, are, are tough to live through, right? Like that they have a significant Absolutely. impact on your, your day to day. And so what would you say to those people who, who don't, who, who are listening, who have one of those conditions, you know, do you, do you do meds and nutrition? Do you get off your med? I mean, you, you can't diagnose, you can't treat, but like if, if I had rheumatoid arthritis and I was taking meds to, to, to improve that condition and you were my doctor, you, you, you would say, Hey, stay on the meds and, and try some of this just to see if we can get some results. Do you, your patients get off these meds and then go kind of cold Turkey? Like what, what does that look like for somebody who comes to you with one of these conditions? Sure. That's a fantastic question. And it's, I'm going to have to give you a pretty nuanced, detailed answer. Sure. <laughs> um, let's, let's, let's take, um, cause it's important, right? Cause if they're like, if I, if I explain it too broadly or too generally, it, it can be misinterpreted. So I want to, I want to be specific. Or maybe you have like a specific so, example of somebody in your practice who you've like walked sure. through like, Hey, this is what this person did. So you don't, you're not, let's be clear. We're not in the practice of medicine here. You're not diagnosing, you're not treating, you're just giving an example of somebody who went through your practice to, to do one of these things. I think it would be cool to have a, a hear a case study of somebody. Sure. And I've got one on my website. Uh, there's a guy named Nick who healed this, who's RA with me. He actually had it for about 25 years. Oh, wow. And so, so the, um, the traditional medical treatment for RA is a drug called an immune suppressant or a biologic. And so the thought they're really expensive. Uh, yes. If you don't have insurance, they're exorbitant. They're like $85,000 a year. Yeah. Um, and they don't even, they're not even a cure. Right. And that's for one year. Right. And you're not yeah. the rest of your life. So, um, anyway, so the strategy of an immune suppressant is they go, oh, okay, your immune system is attacking the, your joints, right? So let's suppress your immune system, and then that way it won't attack your joints anymore. And here's the thing, is that that strategy works, right? It works. As in, like, your joints often do stop hurting or, or hurt much less on this drug. But there's a problem, right? You kind of need your immune system. Yeah. And if the last three years have taught us anything, it's like, that's kind of important, right? Like, you know, if there's a virus going around. You want to be able to, um, you want to be able to fight it. And like your immune system also does a very important job of like, cancer is always happening in everybody's body all the time. But most of the time your immune system is like, sees it and it's like, oh, no, we're killing that. You know, um, but you're on this drug for a long time. Well, it's no longer 
killing the cancer that's popping up from time to time. And if it, and these drugs often have warnings on their labels, just like like long term use can lead to some cancers, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very band aid short term solution, right? Um, and it, it it gets results to some degree, but there there are trade offs, there are side effects, and so this guy he'd been on uh, different. And the other thing is that they wear off from time to time. So you're using it a year, two years, five years, and it kind of stops working, and they got to switch you to another one. And that's a that's a that's an annoying process to go through. Um, so this guy had been on different ones for like 25 years. And what was funny was his wife followed me on Instagram for a long time and was like, you know, you got to do this. You got to meet this Dr. Ben guy. Like, and he was like, that that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I got to be on drugs, <laughs> eat fruits and vegetables. It's gonna heal my rheumatoid arthritis. Like, and and she like apparently like pestered him for like a while. And then I did a talk locally and he came and he's like, okay, I'm going to do this, you know? And, and so basically the way he was doing it, um, he would take like this, it's an infusion drug. So you take an injection periodically. Sometimes it's once a month, sometimes it's once a week. It kind of depends on what your rheumatologist, you know, and what drug it is. Right. And so he, um, and so in my scope, I don't have the ability to prescribe. I can't tell to go on or to go off of it. That's a decision that they need to make with their rheumatologist. But I said, Hey, let's just, let's just hit the fruits and the veg hard, you know, do, do a raw vegan diet, which is basically what I, what I recommend. So like heavy on the fruit, heavy on the leafy greens, smoothie salads, mono fruit meals. And, and, you know, within a week or two, he was noticing he was feeling better. He had this ankle pain that even on the drugs, it never went away. And then all of a sudden he was like walking longer distances, starting to run, like feeling a lot better. And he's like, Hey, I'm feeling better. I just, I don't think I'm going to like do my next dosage yet. And then he kept like delaying that. And then he's one point, you know, it had been like a, like six weeks and he's like, I should do one just to be safe. I was like, Hey, talk to your rheumatologist, work on that. Right. So he slowly tapered down with the help of a medical doctor and, you know, eventually got off it. And um, basically provided his body what it needed to heal itself. So I, hmm. I hope that's a. You mentioned a case study. That's that's one of my yeah, one of my great. favorite ones. So, yeah. Would because it, it it's interesting how important is the components of that diet? Because I think that we've probably let's just just let's just say that we have uh, a lot of people listening to this um, who are 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 heavy animal protein eaters, um, you know, I think would agree with you very much in terms of getting rid of the processed crap, um, getting rid of, you know, pretty much anything you can't, you know, pronounce needs to probably Mm -hmm. go, um, getting rid of multiple ingredient, you know, things. Um, and so how strict is the kind of the nutritional component of what you do to get the results that you're getting? To be honest with you, it's pretty darn strict and it's not for everybody, right? Like there are people who are like, Hey, I could never do that. You know, understand, right? Like you got to be in a position where, you know, you're willing to make a change. And some people would, you know, rather stay sick than change their ways. And like, I'm mm-hmm. not here to convince anybody of anything. Um, but the animal protein is pro-inflammatory, right? And so the least inflammatory foods are going to be the fruits and the vegetables. So if you have a severe chronic disease, really your best shot is going to be to to do that as 100% or close to. So 
if people are like, hey, uh, you know, I'm not vibing with that. I don't think it's for me. That's fine. You know, um, but if you're really sick and nothing else has worked, it's it's definitely worth a shot. My uh, my my carnivore crowd is not going to like that, but uh, that's OK. We can have different perspectives on on these things. But some of the stories I, you told are pretty impressive. I think it's important to like have the discussion, right? Because as much as what I do tends to be the polar opposite of that in some regards, it's still like, like let's, let's figure that out and have an intelligent conversation on it because like either way, like the, the pharma model just ain't working. Right. So, and like, if both work, that's cool. Like there doesn't have to be, there's never, you know, one way to, to do everything. So, um, like I'm just here to, sure what I got going on. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, like if, if they're getting results doing that, awesome, you know, keep it up. Um, I'm, I'm just here to help the people that are, aren't getting results doing what they're already yeah. doing. So, but it does, it does sound like your, uh, if I understood correctly, your, uh, treatment sounds, if it's plant heavy is probably on the lower end of the carb level or not. Um, no, I mean, it is high carb, but maybe the, this is a discussion we could have had on the podcast, but, you know, fruit behaves very differently in the body than refined sugar or even like grains and starches, right? And it's got a lot of fiber in it, which slows the release of the, uh, the sugar into the bloodstream. So there never is a spike. You're never going into the triple digits. People are reversing type 2 diabetes on, on, a, on, a, on a plant-based diet, on a, on a raw vegan diet. Um, you know, I... I, I People come to me with blood sugar issues all the time, and those those normalize. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about the mechanisms of why and what's going on at the cellular level and all of that. Um, but um, you know, it's like people are, are all mad at carbs and sugar. Well, it's like, okay, the refined carbohydrates, right? Like that's what didn't exist in the diet 100, 150 years ago when we didn't have any of these diseases, right? Right, and that that behavior. And then so they'll do a, a study on high fructose corn syrup, how it's bad. And then you'll have these doctors come and say, well, fructose is bad. Look at this high fructose corn syrup study. Don't eat pineapple because it's got lots of fructose. Yeah. It's like you didn't study pineapple, right? And nutrition is not like you It's you can't have this reductionist view where you only look at like, okay, just the carbohydrate, just the, just the sugar. It's like what's going on. There's a symphony of ingredients and, 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 and components going on. And you, as soon as you only like look at one microscopic aspect, you immediately lose the forest of the trees. Do you believe that, um, because the, the carnivore crowd or the keto crowd, the, the high animal protein crowd will say that, and I'm, I'm in this crowd, so I probably will say it myself, like that insulin is one of the the main you know actors in some of these these chronic conditions or insulin resistance, which then leads to a whole host of cardiovascular issues, you know, diabetes, you know, maybe autoimmune. I don't know if if those things are tied together. But would you agree that insulin is one of the, the kind of the main characters here, or or would you say there's something else going on with autoimmunity? Not so much. Um, but with like type two diabetes and, and, um, and heart disease, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and and so it just, it just depends on like your viewpoint of like how that's managed. Right. Right. Um, and I can share mine of of, like what, what insulin resistance is and where it comes from and how to, how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically the model that I, that I, you know, believe is correct is that essentially, okay, you know, you have this bloodstream, right. And in it, you you have blood sugar, 
right? And then you have insulin comes along and insulin is like the, is like the escort. The escorts, you know, finds the sugar and latches onto it and escorts it through the membrane into the cell. And where insulin resistance comes from is if there's too much fat in the bloodstream, that that essentially blocks the insulin from getting into the cell. And so now the sugar hangs out in the bloodstream longer and then the insulin, the body sends more insulin because it's like, we're not getting, the sugar's still in the bloodstream. We got to get it out of there and sends more insulin, but there's fat in the bloodstream and now it can't get through. Um, and so it, it hangs out there longer. Is that triglycerides or is that something else? Um, yeah. I mean, okay. it's, it's triglycerides or, or any, any free floating fat in the bloodstream, okay. which is mostly triglycerides. Um, and so, and so you see that phenomenon, right? So if we lower the fat and, and use a carbohydrate source that's whole food, that's ideally fruit, um, then, then the, it just gets escorted right in the cell. Now, if we do a low carb approach, we sell the fat in the bloodstream, but we have none of the carbs. And so now it's like, well, you're never getting a sugar spike because you're never eating right. carbohydrate. But like, if you do, you, you, like you never build that insulin sensitivity or just like, whoa, that blew me up. I just had like the tiniest bite of like, you know, whatever that sugar in and like, I'm totally like, oh, because you never really actually address the insulin resistance. Yeah. One of the things I saw in your bio, bio that I thought was really interesting was your, um, you, you said you had a, a clinical preceptorship at True North Health Clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, True North is an interesting place. I've, I've started reading a little bit about it and some of the fasting and, and things like that, that they're, they're doing there. Um, you know, we've got a group of people who are very interested in you know, autophagy and, and how that impacts your body and things like that. And I know that True North was looking into some of those, those things. What is your general thought on, on fasting and, and how that impacts the body and, and especially when it comes to chronic diseases? That, that's a fantastic question. So, um, and just, just to, to set the stage for that, like I talked about it, it's about removing the interference of the body healing itself, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you can eat the foods that provide the least amount of interference to the body, the, the, the body frees up the capacity to, okay, if it's no longer defending and fighting all the food that you're feeding it, it can work on healing itself. Well, the next like logical step of that would be if you provide it no food, then even more bandwidth is opened up to heal the body. Uh, and so that's what essentially you're doing on a fast. And for everybody listening, it's a supervised fast. And when I was there, there was one lady who fasted for 40 days, you know, wow. medically supervised, checking on her twice a day. Um, she had severe arthritis in her hips to the point where she was, you know, using a walker to get around and she left without it. Um, and so, so it's really wow. like, and what's interesting is fasting is pretty much the oldest healing modality known to man. Like, you know, in the Bible, all these people fasted for 40 days. Like if you mm-hmm. were sick, that was just what you did. You fasted. There were... There was no gabapentin, metropolol, you know, metformin, insulin, none of that, right? It was <laughs> like, you just, they just knew based on tradition, you don't eat. Any animal in nature is sick or wounded, it rests, it fasts. It just knows that intuitively. Mm-hmm. And so this is was a place where, you know, you could do that. Now there are risks to fasting, right? Like you can't, you have to be resting. You can't be working. You can't be driving a car. You need a place that you, cause, and sometimes there are side effects. Like there was one guy who, they're fasting and um about 10 days into the fast he had some symptoms that actually made me suspect that like he might have some kind of um internal bleeding going on hemorrhaging 
And so I ran it by the doctor and they're like, oh yeah, he definitely does. And then all of a sudden it was like, intern Ben's got to drive him to the hospital. You know, turns out he did have a, uh, some hemorrhaging and they patched him up in the hospital and, you know, we needed the medical intervention for him in that case. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 I would not recommend doing it without proper supervision. Someone who studied at a place like True North and knows how to supervise fast, but you can really accelerate what diet can do in a supervised fast because you're essentially removing all the obstructions to healing. It's just not like, obviously you have to eat at some point in your life. So it's not a sustainable long-term strategy, but like it is a way to go through an intense period of healing with a chronic disease. So if you have somebody with one of these chronic diseases, are there, are there ones that are more kind of prone to improve themselves or the body heal themselves to buy fasting? Like, is there kind of a top five that you could go through is like, Hey, if you have X, Y, or Z fasting is really something you should consider. Um, did you kind of come away from true North being a, you know, a huge fasting believer in terms of healing some of these conditions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so really the fasting is just taking pretty much anything the diet can't do and hitting the fast forward button on it, right? Okay. Or anything the diet can do to heal, hitting the fast forward on it, right? So like maybe three to four months, on a, on a you know, raw vegan diet to heal something like a rheumatoid arthritis, well, in you know, 14 days on a fast, you might be able to get the same results. Wow. Right? So, um, so yeah, any autoimmunity, but also um, any, any of the metabolic diseases, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, any, most of these heart conditions, um, neurological conditions. Um, you know, we had a woman who I would never forget came in, you know, had just, just had a stroke, like literally just had a stroke that day or the day before. And one of her friends drove her who knew about the place was like, you're going here. Like, like it's been getting bad for a while. Now you're coming here. And so when she came in, she was on a walker and they didn't even fast her because she just had a stroke and it was just not like clinically, like sure. they made the clinical decision wouldn't be wise to, to fast her. So they just put her on the food there. And they were basically, they, they do a uh, plant-based salt oil, sugar-free diet. So basically like they still include some cooked foods, but it's, you know, it's, it's whole plant foods. And within a week she was walking under her own power again, like as if the stroke had never happened. So, um, wow. yeah, those are some of the conditions. And I would say overall, like there's capital and there's overhead and there's liability to running a fasting clinic. It's not like I can just start one, you know? And so if, if there are that the hard case conditions that come my way that, I work with them for a while and they're not getting better. I'll refer them to go do a fast. Yeah, for sure. What what is something like that cost? Do you know? Like, what does it cost to go to one of those centers? Um, so it varies, but True North they really, really try hard to keep their prices competitive. And so, um, you know, it, it's around the cost of doing going to a ho- staying at a nice hotel in that area. Oh, okay. So probably between like 150 and 300 a night, plus like. If you're seeing doctors or working with people while right. you're there, there's that fees added on top. But um, you might be looking at, you know, I would say like, and I don't, you know, this was a while ago, and I know there's been inflation, but I remember a buddy of mine back in maybe like 2015, 2016, did a 30 day fast, and it cost him about five thousand dollars with everything. Like, oh, interesting. Know, all, I'm just wondering. Yeah. My, my curiosity is like, given the cost we just talked about in terms of like rheumatoid arthritis being just the drug is $80,000, $80,000 a year, something like that. 
which is in line with what my friend I think is is taking the drug that she's taking is is something like eighty thousand dollars. Why wouldn't insurance companies, or maybe they do, um, get people to go to one of these facilities to see if they can knock this thing out without having to pay for the eighty thousand dollar biologic? Well, we'll have to schedule another podcast to discuss the depths of that issue. Um, <laughs> that's that's a very long discussion. Um, but basically, um, I'll try to give you like the, the short answer. Um, number one is that most of the people that, that do a lot of the underwriting for these insurance companies and dictate what gets covered, what doesn't get covered are medical doctors that they hire on staff to evaluate evidence, right. And decide what to cover and what not to cover. And so as good as the evidence may be, and true North has done an excellent job of like, systematizing things so that they can take their medical records that they have of people and publish it into evidence. Um, uh, as good as the evidence may be, there's a, just a general bias to like, if it's not a drug or a surgery that just like, it's not yeah, happening. Totally. Right. It's the medical industrial um, complex, you know, yeah. approach to medicine in essence. And then I would, I also want to share something that I just learned about last week and it blew my mind because you would think that uh, an insurance company would be incentivized to get you healthier, right? Like if you if you're sick, you're a liability to them, right? Not true. Um, but there's this there, um, there's this podcast. Uh, it was actually this guy named I don't know if you heard of him. I think it was like Brigham Butler or Brigham Bueller. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, he was on Rogan. Um, and, yeah, he was on Rogan, and then last week he was on RFK Junior's podcast, and he was talking about uh, there's some entity. It's called like a I don't know what they do, but they basically negotiate the drug prices for the insurance companies PBMs. with the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. PBMs. Pharma- pharmacy so benefit managers. Yep. Yeah. So they, exactly. That's it. That's the term. They come to pharma and say, hey, we got all these people. Give us a lower price on this drug. Well, then what they do is they 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 pocket that money that they make and then they mark it up to actually give it to the patient. So they make money every time that the patient's issued a prescription. Yes. So the more drugs that they're on, uh, even with the co-pays and the reimbursements, the insurance company still comes out ahead. So they're financially incentivized to have you on more drugs. Yeah. Well, the, the insurance companies own the PBMs. Most of the yeah. PBMs are actually owned uh, by the insurance companies. And so, you know, the insurance com- companies own the PBMs, which, you know, is the middleman between the drug company and the, 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 the uh, yeah, the PBM is supposed to be the middleman between the drug company and the the insurance company and the patient ultimately, but the insurance company owns it. So you now the insurance company owns the middleman. Um, it's not too dissimilar that the insurance company, United Healthcare, for example, owns a hundred thousand doctors across the country. There are a million doctors across the country. Ten percent are actually employed by United Healthcare. So in essence, what you're doing is you're negotiating against yourself. Right. Like United Healthcare is supposed to be negotiating on our behalf, but they're negotiating with doctors that they also employ. So why would they negotiate really good prices? Because that would actually just hurt them. You know, it's 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 totally perverse. Absolutely perverse. Yeah. So that's that's the answer to that question. Yeah. And then ultimately, like if you go to a place like True North or you do something that's going to actually get you well and then you're not on drugs and you don't need continued care after that. Well, that's a big dollar loss. Yeah. So why insure that? Why you're you're just shooting yourself in the foot? Yeah, it's it's interesting how many people who will will come down with one of these conditions would consider doing something 
like True North, you know, like extended fasting um, versus, you know, just taking the drug, you know, and these insurance companies, in essence, just make it really easy to to take the drug. And so you don't have to do something that's really hard. I mean, fasting for a long period of time has got to be an incredibly difficult thing to do. <laughs> um, I can't go a day without, you know, fasting. So going five or 10 or 20 days or whatever some of these people are doing is crazy. Um, so we get into this culture of like, let's just fix it now. And the fix it now approach is typically a pharmaceutical approach. And that's the one that your doctor is, is pitching you. So it's incredibly difficult to get over that barrier with people to say, Hey, you should try something with your diet. You should try something with fasting because that actually takes a bunch of work, a bunch of effort. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I'll tell you something. I've worked with a lot of people with these conditions over the years and they've been on a lot of phone calls. And I would have to say that the average person has gone down the medical route for seven to 10 years before they're considering what I'm offering. Yeah. They're usually telling me like, look, I've been on Humira. I've been on Actemra. I've been on Enbrel for, for all this time. And like, I've done what the doctors have told me and I'm not getting better. And I'm just realizing it's a dead end. And I've like been resisting change for a while, but like, I just, I can't go on like this. Right. And so someone like your friend who's newly diagnosed, who's just like, Oh, stop with that nonsense. Sure. The doctor tall just knows, and they're putting me on this. Right. And, and they may be good in the beginning. Right. And they may not honestly be in enough pain to change mm -hmm. because obviously, um, you know, like you said, it's difficult to, to change your diet. It's difficult to do a fast, right? Like it's, I'm not coming on here to say it's easy by any means. Um, but there's something, a concept that Tony Robbins calls emotional leverage, right? Which is where people change when this pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Mm -hmm. And some people die before they hit that point. Like that is, that is the truth. Yeah. So, um, you know, what I do isn't for everybody, and that's okay. I'm I, I am not at, not here to force anybody who's unwilling into doing it, right? But if if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, give me a shout. Let's talk. Yeah, that's great. Well, you um you've written a book on the topic. What can you can you show us the book again so that readers know where to go and learn sure. more? So the book is called Create Health: Reverse Autoimmune Disease Without Drugs or Side Effects. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, if you want to support me directly, you can get it on my website, createhealthbook.com. And that's pretty much like if I could go back in time to 2010 and be like, hey, younger Ben, just do what's in this book. Like, yeah. that's what this would be. Yeah, I love that. And where can they find you online? I know that you you mentioned the book uh, website. Where else can they find you? So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, just my name, Dr. Benjamin Benulis. I'm most active on Instagram. Oh, and then I actually, last week, I launched my own podcast, which is on Apple and Spotify. It's called the Create Health Podcast. Awesome. So Good. We'll look out for you. Dr. Ben, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon.